everyone, and welcome back to the Neurodiverging Podcast. My name is Danielle Sullivan. I am your host. I am the founder of Neurodiverging Coaching and an autistic parent of two neurodivergent kids. I'm really glad you're here joining us today. I want to thank my patrons for supporting this podcast. Patrons pledge a small amount of money every month to keep the podcast rolling and any extra goes to support our lower income sliding scale clients uh, who really appreciate the help. If you're interested in joining us on Patreon, you can check out patreon.com slash neurodiverging, where you can pledge three bucks a month for ad-free podcasts on up to get lots of other perks and rewards. Thanks so much for thinking about it. Today, I need to talk to you about something that no one wants to think about, which is what you're going to do if you have neurodivergent children or other adults in your house who are neurodivergent, and there is an emergency situation of some kind. A couple of years ago, In late December in 2021, there was a fire in Colorado called the Marshall Fire, which ended up being the most destructive fire in Colorado's history. And we have a lot of wildfires. A couple of people died. Hundreds, maybe thousands of homes were lost. There was smoke damage everywhere. The fire started at around 11 a.m. and moved very, very, very quickly to the point that at 5 p.m. it was thousands of square miles big. Tens of thousands of people had been evacuated and there was smoke in the air for miles and miles and miles around. Here in Colorado, we do have a number of potential weather disasters that can happen. Just in the time I've moved here since 2011, we have had significant flooding in my area, significant wildfire concern in our area. Most years there is hail damage to Someone in my nearby area, if not my neighbor, then a friend from down the road a little bit, has significant hail damage to their vehicle, to their home, often to our gardens. So in many ways, we're used to handling, you know, some significant disasters. The Marshall Fire came within a couple miles of our home and prompted myself and my two children and our two cats to evacuate up to a family member's home in Greeley, about an hour north. We had had, as I said some knowledge that the fire was happening. Um, It became very clear very quickly that it was growing fast, that it was moving quickly. They had evacuated two huge towns. Um, There was this case of, we were watching it on on Instagram, just watching people's stories and, you know, following it on Facebook. Um, And there was a Costco um, where it had been safe. People had been shopping. People had been doing their thing. And within minutes, it became very clear that the fire was moving in that direction and the Costco had to be evacuated. And there were these videos of people running from the Costco with the flames you know, in the back. And luckily, everyone in that situation was okay, but it was really frightening. The reason, and I've had this on my list to talk about for several years, and it's just, I guess it's never felt like a good time to be like, hey, natural disasters happen. With the weather and the temperatures that we're seeing, we saw this year in the summer, and with just everything else going on, I think it bears talking about now how you and your family can be better prepared to evacuate if you ever need to. Um, So from my perspective, there's lots of resources you can go get from your government, from your local authorities, from all the survivalists that are home on the internet. If you want to learn to make a bug out bag, if you want to learn how you know to make an emergency plan, there are lots of resources to do that with. That's not what I'm trying to do today. What I would love to do is just talk to you about my experience of having to evacuate for this fire on very little notice um, with two small children and two cats. And 
to tell you some of what I learned that I hope can be helpful for you in your thinking about how you're going to create safety plans and how you're going to talk to your family ahead of time of something happening so that you have a plan in place. If nothing else, this experience really, really, really drove home for me that you do need to have a plan in place. And we were very lucky that we had some things already in place, though we could have done better. I feel like you can always do better, right? Um, and, And somehow I feel like many of us think, well, either something will happen and there'll be lots of time, like I'll know it's happening and I'll be able to, you know, pre-evacuate or get my stuff together or talk, you know, join my community efforts or something will happen so quickly that it won't matter that I'll have prepared. Right. And, and the reality, I really think this drove home for me is that in most cases you have some warning, you might not have days of warning, but you do have some warning and you do have time to do something. You do have time to take care of the people and animals, perhaps, in your life that are the most important to you. Now, obviously, I'm, well, maybe not obviously, but I'm an autistic adult, okay? I have significant anxiety. I don't handle changing plans very well, though I am much better at it than I used to be. I'm much more flexible than I used to be. Nobody handles an evacuation particularly well. My children are autistic ADHD years. We have some PDA traits. We have a lot of anxiety. So my memories are, Around 11 in the morning, we got the news from various like government texts and seeing it on Facebook and the news sites and stuff that there was a fire starting in the Louisville Superior area, which is only a couple of miles from us. I got online and, you know, was looking at the mapping data that the the um, Office of Emergency Management was putting out on Twitter. And I determined that the fire was still pretty far away from us and it wasn't moving in our direction. So I decided to keep an eye on it. I talked to my partner, the kid's parents about what our plans could be if we did need to um, evacuate. We also heard that some of our friends, uh, you know, a little later in the afternoon, closer to two, three, four o'clock had been evacuated from their homes in the Louisville Superior area. Um, Around that time, I started feeling like even though the fire, the barrier was a couple miles from our house, it was only a couple miles from our house. And the fire, although it was not moving, in a direction we expected it to lead to my house. Um, It was very extremely windy that day. And if you go and look up the fire for any reason, you can see that part of the reason that the fire expanded so quickly and did so much damage was we had very, very high winds. Winds can change speed unexpectedly. They can push fires in different directions unexpectedly. It was late enough in the day that I was concerned that we would go to sleep and the fire would move, or that I would just be up all night panicked that the fire was going to head in our direction. So I decided to evacuate myself and the kids and the cats to a family members north of significantly north, so that at the very least, nothing would happen and I would sleep because I knew we were safe. We would be out of the local area. We would not be breathing in the smoke. That was a huge concern for us that the smoke was really, really bad near us by the time it was 5 p.m. that day, um, that even if the fire didn't approach us, that we would be breathing in all this harmful, gross, terrible stuff. So at best, we were going to get away from the smoke. I was going to be able to sleep at night, not feeling like we might be evacuated or burned in our beds at any moment. Um, And at worst, we'd lose the house, but we'd be safe. Um, It was a really challenging couple of hours. It was not enough time between when we we decided that we were in significant enough danger that we should evacuate from when we actually had to leave because of the traffic and other situations of trying to actually 
get to another location, there was a lot of people evacuating. It was, the roads were very busy. I had a friend who told me that they were, it took them, I think, two hours to get a mile down the road um, out of Louisville. So there was significant concern that we needed to be able to leave early enough to actually get somewhere. I had told the kids as soon as people started evacuating and as soon as you could see some of the smoke over the horizon that there was a bad fire near us. I didn't say it in a threatening, scary way, but I let them know that there was a really bad fire um, and we should maybe not go outside too much today because of the smoke and it was going to hurt, potentially hurt us and make us cough and things. As we made the decision to evacuate, um, my my co-parent was not in the home with us and was not able to be. So I was evacuating the two kids by myself. It was about five days after Christmas. The fire, unfortunately, was on December 30th. Um, and so I asked, I told my children that we were going to have to leave, that I thought the house was going to be okay, but I wasn't sure. And that it was more important that we were safe than anything else. They had significant reactions to that. They were very scared. They were very sad. They were very worried about their things. They were about six and eight at the time, I believe. I could be getting the math wrong. They were young. Um, I told them, I gave them each a big plastic trash bag, and I told them, please pack anything that is really, really, really important to you in this plastic trash bag. Um, they both packed their bags full, full of their stuffies which was cute. But then, you know, I went back and I packed some clothes for them. I packed their toiletries. I packed, you know, all the the things. Um, they both brought their Christmas candy, which I, th I thought was a good choice considering how stressed everyone was that maybe we should have some sugar with us. We obviously packed the cats up. We packed some towels. Um, we had some bug out bags. We did pack them and some water with us, even though we were going to a family member's because I thought, well, if the roads, if something happens, like at least we'll have water and some food. Um, the bug out bags would only last us for a couple of days, but it's something. Um, and we left the house. We did make it to my family member's house fine. We slept fine that night. We woke up in the morning and our house was still there. I cannot tell you what a relief that was. Um, unfortunately, the damage was immense. We are still, the community as a whole is still rebuilding from it years and years and years later. We, we drive um through Louisville and Superior regularly for my children's appointments and houses are still being rebuilt. Many people lost everything, everything. Um, and many people couldn't afford to have their houses rebuilt because of insurance challenges. It, it was just, it, it continues to be a really challenging situation for our communities over here. That said, our experience was way better than it could have been. It was an awful experience. It was an awful experience, but we had done some things ahead of time that made the whole thing a lot easier to handle. Here are my tips for if you have to deal, if you want to start a conversation in your household about getting ready for emergency situations and you're not sure what to do. First of all, set some time aside. Recognize that talking about a potentially life-threatening situation is not like Something you want to spring on somebody unexpected, especially if they are maybe anxiety prone, right? So set some time aside. You can say something like, hey, so-and-so, I heard this podcast, was reading a book, heard about this thing in the news, and it made me think that it would be really smart to have some kind of emergency plan in place for our 
family, household, partnership, whatever, group, okay? Could we set aside some time in the next week or two to talk about this, okay? If you get an immediate no, because some of us are immediate knowers, that's okay. Say, okay, thanks for thinking about it. Go away, honor them, and then come back a week or so later and say, I've still been really thinking about this issue. It's heavy on my heart. It's really something I would like to work on. Would you be willing to sit and talk with me about it? If you continue to get declinations, if people continue to decline, which is their right, I would encourage you to sit down and make an emergency plan for yourself, right? Ideally, we want all of our adult people in our life to be in on the same emergency plan. You'll have the best um, amount of success or likelihood of success. That said, sometimes people are just not going to be able to meet you in that place yet. And hopefully once they see you working on it, they'll come around, but they might not ever come around. And that doesn't mean you shouldn't have a plan in place for yourself and anybody else under your care. Okay. Second, take your concerns seriously. So a lot of clients that I work with when we're setting up systems or, or, or framings for tasks that they have to accomplish, things they have to do, things they have to talk about with people, a lot of people feel like their worries, whatever they are, are weird or different or minuscule or maybe shouldn't be a worry. And then what happens is when we're trying to make a, an emergency plan, the person is so hung up on this idea that they just shouldn't worry about that, like it shouldn't even be real, that they can't get through the emergency plan. So for example, say say you're in a car and there's a car accident and you were taken to the hospital and you're worried that your partner will not be able to find you or know what happened, Right. This, I mean, I would say that's a reasonable worry, but for whatever reason, it might be that in your life, people have told you, well, that's not something you should worry about. Like you'd have ID on you. They would have the records. They would call, you know, your person would call around for you. They'd find you. So you might've been told and internalized that it's not a reasonable concern, quote unquote, right? My advice for planning for an emergency is if you have a concern, assume it is a reasonable concern and plan for it. Okay. Don't let other people tell you that your concern is not a reasonable one. And don't let that stop you from moving forward with your emergency plan. So in that case, what we might do is say, well, what are the concerns behind why you think your partner might not be able to find you if you were, you know, brought to hospital? What could we do to make sure they'd be able to find you if you were brought to hospital? Right. And then once that's out of the way, then what's the next thing on the list of planning for an emergency? Okay. Take your concerns seriously, even if other people don't share them. Make a plan to address your concerns seriously, even if other people don't share them. And that will open you up to being able to handle actual big emergencies when they come up because you're not so weighed down by things that other people are telling you you shouldn't take seriously. Your concerns matter. Take them seriously, even if they're not what other people are worried about. Okay? Third, if you have children, dependents, or other people who live with you who might need some support in, in an actual emergency, there are some things you can do ahead of time to kind of get everybody on the same page so that in a situation where it's really urgent that you move quickly, you're not wasting time. The first thing is just talk to them, communicate with them, however that happens. Let them know at whatever level that they can contribute, please help like let them contribute. Even if they're children, even if there's a developmental disability, whatever it is, ask people what they would need to feel okay in that as okay as, okay as possible in that emergency and help them incorporate that into the emergency plan. Okay. If somebody is worried about an attachment animal, a weighted blanket, a piece of art, whatever, make a plan 
so that that is on your list of we need to handle this items in an emergency, right? Now, obviously, in some cases, there won't be time and you'll just have to move and you'll not be able to bring the thing, right? But in some cases, like my situation, we had a couple hours, right? We didn't have a lot of time, but we had a couple hours. Had there been a concern about, say, a, a I don't know, an attachment item, an old stuffed animal, a, 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 an important um, set of photographs. We could have popped those in the fire safe before we left, right? Or we could have taken them with us. We had time to pack the car. So talk about it ahead of time and help, you know, incorporate everybody's needs as best you can into the list you're making. Second, depending on who you're working with, consider whether um, you can make visual supports, visual aids, or any other kind of aids to pull out in an emergency. So for example, you might be able to make an action strip of in an emergency, first we do this, then we do this, then we do this, you know. So um, first we leave the house, second we get in the car, or first we listen to mom, follow her instructions. Second, we, you know, do this, do this, right? Whatever it is, and you can make a set of action strips for different situ potential situations, right? Don't make 30. But you can make like three or four for different kinds of situations, right? Um, where you have less time or more time, have them available. Make a binder somewhere in your house that's like the emergency situation binder that has all your contacts, all your lists, all your action items, and all of your visual supports in one place. Make copies if possible and put them in friends' houses or your support people's houses, your emergency people that you might go to in an evacuation situation if possible. Make a digital copy and keep it on your phone or in your Google Drive so you can access it if something happens when you're not at home, okay? And then the last thing I want to say is please practice, please practice what to do in an emergency, okay? So we're homeschoolers, which means that we have, for better or worse, managed to opt ourselves out of things like fire drills, um, active shooter drills, right? Emergency preparedness drills of all kinds that happen in school systems, Um that means that when we're at home, we have to be really on top of making, I have to be really on top of making sure that my kids know what to do. Um, what do you do if someone comes in the door when I'm not there? What do you do if I fall asleep and you can't wake me up? What do you do if there's a fire? What do you do if there's a flood? What do you do if, what do you do if, right? And when I'm listing it all out like that, it probably sounds overwhelming and like I'm traumatizing my kids, but you don't do all this in one fell swoop. You do like one a month, right? And you just sort of bring it up the same way you bring up that the earth is round and that oxygen is in the air when you're teaching small children, right? You bring things up over and over again until it sticks. The same way you drill your math equations by drilling or how to read or write by drilling or um, even how to knit by doing it over and over again. The more that you talk about and physically practice as best you can evacuation maneuvers, the more you talk about your safety plans, the more you talk about the fact that the binder exists, the more you talk about the fact that if this ever happened, and it probably won't, this is our plan, the more your kids and other people will internalize that plan and be able to pull out, pull it out themselves in an emergency if you are indisposed or something happens to you, right? Because that's another concern is if there's only one main emergency person, and that's me, if something happens to me in the emergency, right? Are my kids going to be able to get help, right? And so you have to be thinking about replicating what you're doing and dispersing it. So it's not just you who has all the plans in your head. All those plans need to be in as many people's heads as possible. And there need to be backups so that if something happens, we all forbid it. If something happens, people still know what to do. People will still be safe. Okay. 
I know this is a stressful topic. I really appreciate you tuning in today. And I hope some of this was helpful for you. My best advice is don't panic. Hitchhiker's Guide all the way, you guys. Don't panic. Take some deep breaths. Remember that most of us end up okay in the long term. But it does not hurt to be prepared. And if you are someone who gets nervous or who's going to freeze in an emergency situation, making those plans, and you can do it with a coach, with a therapist, with a friend, right, with a teacher, making those plans ahead of time and having them accessible is going to really support you in a potentially very difficult situation and make sure everybody gets out okay. All right. Thank you again so much to my patrons for supporting this podcast. I really appreciate you all. Check out patreon.com slash neurodiverging if you would like to contribute and help support this podcast and help us keep going. I really appreciate you tuning in. Please press like, press subscribe, whatever platform you want. It really helps other people find us. And please remember, we are all in this together. Does your father know you're listening to this podcast? Well, when you're done, why don't you stop by and check out a show that is 100% dad-approved, Dadages. Hi there, I'm Chad Higgins. If you're looking for useful insights and practical advice you can actually apply to work, family, education, philanthropy, and just life in general, check out Dadages. That's D-A-D-A-G-E-S, wherever you listen to your podcasts.